You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Hartigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife. He is James Hartigan. Happy birthday, Joe. James, the bit, it's over. <laughs> I know I'm a bit of a hypocrite. Yeah. I've been doing some of my own bits since I was in my mid-30s, but now that I'm 48, yep. it is time to start acting like a grown-up. It was my birthday last week. It's time to put the birthday bit to bed. I am 48. Fair point. It has been over a year now. Uh, you got sick for my birthday. Now for the next year, I'm going to ask you how you're feeling every week. How's that? How are you feeling, James? Fine. Which is the standard response. No matter how you're feeling, whether you're feeling great, whether you're feeling sickly, the classic British response is fine. Um, I will agree, by the way, to ditching the birthday bit, but I'm going to replace it with something. You know how every single day of the year now seems to be something, whether it's International Flyer Kite Day or National Stroke Your Cat Day. So every time we record a podcast, I'm going to find out what the day is and I will wish you happy take your garbage out to a chap called Pete Day. That's totally fine with me because those things are bullshit and they need to be mocked. And the only part that really bothered me is that Every once in a while, someone would send me a happy birth. I'm not going to say what bothered me. People are going to keep doing it. Coming up on this week's show, it's time to do a personal inventory. Time to be held accountable. Did I stop playing poker? Did I read a book? The answer, like most things poker is, it's situational. Um, More on the supposed poker hiatus later, but I will reveal now that, yes, I did read Peter Elson's book, The Only Way to Play It, and that is a good thing because he is the guest on today's show. I appreciate the research. Yeah, the next time we're totally out of content for a show, you are going to read the book. I hate reading. I hate it. That's why I get all of my news off of YouTube. (laughs) Not the rest, not like the rest of you sheep and your accredited sources. You do play the ugly American quite beautifully. (laughs) I did read the book and the author is on the show today. Uh, It's the book Brian Koppelman called A Leafy Poker Surprise, replete with so many chestnuts, you'd think it was December Deuce 5. That is one of the weirdest reviews I've ever heard. He didn't say that. I totally made that up. Uh, We got a teensy bit of poker news to cover. Dewey, I'm not sure that's relevant anymore, Uh, including some poker and pop culture popping up on one of my favorite shows of all time. Okay, well, that counts as poker news. I'll allow it. Yeah, I'm going to count that as news. Look, entertainment news is still news. Uh, Otherwise, we wouldn't be a thing. And this week's uh, super fan is a guy named Cameron Kite. And we are doing music of the 20. Teens? The tw- that doesn't sound right. The Tweenties. No, that doesn't work. No. Uh, the years 2010 through 2019. That is correct. That is the subject of today's Superfan Quiz. Now, James, before we get too far, yeah. is this the era in which you were a disc jockey? No, no. That was many, many years ago. I worked in the commercial... <laughs> radio industry from 1997 to 2008 and was only a disc jockey for a very short period of time for like the first few months of my career but I was in the music slash radio industry I did work on the network chart show in the UK for two or three years 
Um, and the, here's the weirdest thing. Here's the glitch in the Matrix. I talked about all this very recently because I got interviewed by Robbie Straczynski for the Cards Chat podcast, which is the last thing I did before I got really sick. And it's no exaggeration. I started developing a fever during that interview. I have no recollection of what I said during at least the last 60, if not 70% the hot of that lights of the Robbie Straczynski interrogation gave you the fever i genuinely genuinely got a little bit panicked but of course like all (laughs) things controlled and managed uh by the red spade empire luckily someone from the team went back over the tape before robbie put it out there in the poker sphere so i didn't say anything controversial stupid (laughs) or too stupid um but yeah we talked all about my kind of background and and what i used to do but uh but no it did not cover this era so patrick has been handling it. That's good. Okay, good, because your quizzes are way too hard. Um, speaking of, uh, did you say something about DVDs you didn't? I don't know. There was something you said that triggered me. Just look behind me, James. James can see my video. Uh, so I've been moving, and uh, behind me I've got my DVD collection, which is probably more arduous to move than any piece of furniture. I know that you have this frustrating habit of referring to all films on disc as DVDs. Are you actually talking about DVDs or are the majority Blu-ray discs? I'm talking about digital, digital discs, DVDs. You see, with the exception of a handful, and I literally mean a handful, I got rid of all of my DVDs ages ago. Do you know why? Because when I went to watch one, and I can't believe I'm saying this now, it looked like shit. And I remember how amazing DVD was when I first got my first player back in 98, yeah. right? And we had years of VHS. And I can only imagine it was worse for you guys because you had bloody NTSC and pan and scan was the norm. And it was it was fantastic. But now, of course, we've gone through HD. Now we're into 4K. In some instances, 8K territory. DVD just doesn't cut it anymore. And when you watch it on a brand new 4K TV... It looks well, god-awful. So I decided, do you know what? I'm going to get rid of all these discs. And as and when I want to watch the movies again, I'll either replace them on Blu-ray, replace them digitally, or watch them on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Because I couldn't bring myself to watch SD anymore. So there's a lot to unpack there, which is ironic because unpacking is what I've been doing for the last uh, week. So I do have some Blu-rays. I have about... I probably have about a hundred Blu-rays. Oh wow, that's still a significant collection. I mean, I've, I've still got I've still got a lot of Blu-ray discs. Probably closer to two fifty, three hundred Blu-ray discs. HD I can cope with. It's SD where I'm like, nah, nah. So I've got I've got the hundred Blu-rays, and I have about six hundred <sighs> regular DVDs. Nice. Now, not only is that just a lot of anything to have and to own and to move. But also, regular DVDs are somewhat bigger, the cases, yes, than the Blu-rays. Like, it does make a big difference when there's 600 of them. So what happened was, like, because of moving, uh, we didn't have any... Oh, and so you mentioned uh, when you want to watch them again, you'll... So I haven't actually physically watched a DVD, Blu-ray or otherwise, in years, because I typically just watch whatever's on offer on streaming, right? Like, yeah. if you can't find it, look, I got Netflix, I got Hulu, I got Amazon, I got almost everything, Disney Plus. There's no reason for me to dig out a DVD most of the time. I will say, occasionally, I'll even spend three bucks to just watch something digitally that I have on DVD 
for some of the reasons you mentioned and also because sometimes my library is not that easy to get through. However, because of moving, I didn't have internet access <laughs> in my new place for like the first week. Physical media returns. Yes. And so I was like, here, let's just pull open a random box of DVDs, set up my girlfriend who hasn't seen nearly as many movies as I have. Um, which of these looks interesting to you? So well, we're just going to play a quick little mini game here, James. Okay. Which of the following classic movies did my girlfriend fall asleep to? Okay. Real Genius, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Sting, Being There, and or Life of Brian, which is next week's super fan subject. Is it a trick question and is the answer all of them? That is correct. Every single one of them. She fell asleep. I'd say real genius. She made it a whole hour. The rest of them, I'd say about around the 40 minute mark. Wow. Here's here's what I don't understand. And I know that we're not supposed to be sexist anymore. We're not supposed to say something's a girl thing or a boy thing. When my girlfriend is watching movies, she has to be in the most comfortable position possible, which is fully reclined. Blanket and pillow on top of me, and I'm just like, this is why you fall asleep. This is that's not the right environment. You're in bed. This is not There's the right no... environment to be watching exactly. a motion picture classic. Well, you've, you've got to do something about this. Anyway, regardless of her reaction to the movie, did you experience what I went through when you look at these films on disc now with new technology and go, ooh, it's grainy, it's pixely, it looks horrid. Um. I mean, Real Genius is an eight. Not, not really. I mean, none of these movies, other than Raiders, right? Is now the Sting too. They're all old movies to me. So seeing them like in old movie format doesn't bother me. Like it, none of it. It's just really so soft, and you can almost see the scan lines now. No, dude, you got to upgrade. All of these films need to be upgraded now. I demand it. I I wanted to upgrade my couch so we had to get a new couch and turns out james i was like we should get one of those couches with the armrests and the like the cup holders like the movie theater stop yeah the face you're making right now is the same face that she and my best friend who's kind of like being our designer yeah we're like joe come on no we're not getting one of the i was yeah. It was my I, one request. I just, um, I've been, one of the random things I've been watching at the moment is all the seasons of Queer Eye on Netflix. And I just had that <laughs> vision of, of, of Bobby walking into someone's home and seeing those kind of like, you know, recliners with, with cup holders and just be like, that's going. Uh, yeah. It's, you're 48 now, Joe. That's real frat boy right, territory. Fine. We didn't, we didn't get one of those. So um, anyway, uh, speaking of poker, well, we're not speaking of poker yet. We're about to pop culture. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time. It was a former super fan specialist subject, the Howard Stern show. Yeah. Uh, arguably the most successful radio show of all time uh, was he was kind of doing this bit where he was ha just taking random questions and someone called in and asked if he liked poker. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I do like poker. I, I love watching poker on TV. Now, he then went on to say a bunch of things that led me to believe he hadn't watched poker and TV in probably a decade. <laughs> but this was amazing. I'll give you a couple of guesses. So with that in mind, James, 
I will. I don't. You probably never get it, so I don't want to go on too long with this. I want you to try to guess who he said his favorite player was. I'll say this: he was a full tilt pro, but not one of the big ones. Like not someone we still talk about today. Alan Cunningham. Um, no, but am I in the right ballpark though? You're in the right ballpark of like a guy who was on like the same number of TV shows as Alan Cunningham, but not nearly a guy who's like Alan Cunningham's like kind of stood the test of time as a player. Um, not really, you know, he's not really on the so scene. So many people on the full tilt roster. I'm I'll just trying this. to remember them walking down the, the street the in black and white. The former tennis player. Former a French guy. Tennis player? French? Yeah. You might not have ever known this about him. His favorite player that he name-checked was David Benjamin. Oh, David Benjamin, yeah. Obviously, I, I didn't know David played tennis. Yeah, he. I think he used to be a tennis pro even, maybe, back in the day. You see, yeah. I, I, I actually, I was. I would think that I had Benjamin too high up as far as on my tier of well-known oh, okay. players was concerned. Sorry. Because, because, because Benjamin was huge, especially in Europe. Yeah, he was he was huge. So that's what he's like. Oh yeah, my favorite guy. This guy named David Benjamin. Um, and then he goes on to uh, to talk about uh, like sort of a, a mishmash of players. So I think confuses. Um, he did. He he said that he found Daniel really annoying. <laughs> he's not alone. How, how he never stops talking, which I think is funny. Um, I do think he watched the big game because he kept talking about this Italian qualifier. Now, there were Italian qualifiers on other things, but I'm yeah, having but a hard time. As far as American TV shows are concerned, unless there's, either, there's two things here. Either it's the guy from the big game or it's Filippo Candio from the World Series of Poker from like the 09-2010 era. Yes, it could have been that. I thought at first he was talking about um, the recent World Series of Poker uh, and Dario in that one, but uh, I think more likely it's something from a decade ago. Yeah. This was my favorite description. Now, he did not name check this person, but he goes, yeah, there's this one guy who only wears a black hat and sunglasses, so all you can see is his gigantic mole. (laughs) I was just like... Oh my God! I have never heard him described that way. I've never even thought that. Oh, that's terrible. horrible. That's horrible. So yeah. So the answer is he was into poker big time about ten years ago, and probably still has an interest in the game, but maybe isn't as in tune with with it as he once was. Yeah, but I was super super geeked out thinking about how this guy who I've like worshipped. Not, yeah. worship's a strong word. I don't really like yeah. that word, but I've really admired, uh, you know, for the last 20 years has maybe just maybe heard some of our comments. Sure. Okay. Now, before I ask you a couple of very important questions, a quick PSA for everyone listening. Um, you might remember that every now and then we do one of our poker movie Mondays on a Wednesday where we yeah. review a movie with a tenuous poker theme. And a couple of years ago, it might even be three years ago now, we did a double bill. We did a bad poker movies double bill where we looked at Lucky You and Deal, two very similar films from the mid-2000s. So because we're suckers for punishment, because <laughs> clearly we're masochists, we're doing bad poker movies round two. And in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to do a double bill where we look at a movie called Shade, 
from 2003 with Sylvester Stallone, Jamie Foxx, and Stuart Townsend. And the movie about the life of Stu Unger, starring Michael Imperioli of The Sopranos fame, which in America is called Stewie, and in Europe is called High Roller, The Stu Unger Story. So those are the two movies. Now, Joe, have you seen either of those films? I have not seen either okay. one of them, no. I have seen both around the time they came out. They're fucking awful. So I'm not looking forward to this, but I'm going to do it. And maybe, hey, maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe I'll be delighted. And maybe they're not as bad as I remember. Or maybe they have kind of kitsch value looking back on them now. But those are the movies we're going to talk about. I don't know what the situation is in the United States. I do know that in the UK, both movies are available for free on Prime Video. So if you're an Amazon customer, boom, hello. Uh, But we are going to need a super fan. So if you share our masochistic tendencies, if you want to watch one or both of these films uh, in preparation (laughs) for our podcast, please let us know. Volunteer using the hashtag poker in the ears on twitter and actually we'll take all superfan applications we don't have a long list right now a reminder that if you were on the list and fell off the list i i forgot about you i'm sorry apply again let us know your specialist subject but you will be fast tracked you will be on the show in the next two weeks if you volunteer to be our shade or stewie superfan um you pledged not to play any home games, any online poker. And I joked at the end of the last podcast that we had like a a crew game planned, right, for everyone who works on the live streams. But because I got sick, that game got cancelled, which means you probably went through the last 10, 14 days without playing any poker, right? Um, no, that did not happen. Um, I only played slightly more than usual. No, I'm kidding. I did play... Oh. A little bit less. Um, I decided that I was... Look, it's we're still kind of in quarantine, right? Um, and there was a couple of occasions where I had other activities to do. I, I spent more time with my girlfriend. I, I didn't make poker a priority. There were a few times when I felt like I kind of really needed that interaction uh, and needed that sort of, uh, that that social aspect of it. So I played less when I played. So rather than uh, play for hours and hours, because what happens is like games keep starting up, right? They right. start up. I played one. It went badly. I said, guys, it was nice to see everybody. I'm going to go. And I, I called it a night. Uh, but <laughs> things, unfortunately, haven't gotten any better um how is this now i start get i start getting text messages from people are texting me to apologize after they bust me and i'm getting messages like oh i'm so sorry things will turn around does that make it better Um, or does that actually make it worse it makes it better in that it's nice to be recognized that i'm running like insanely insanely stupidly bad like everyone's just like Maria's gotten to the point where she is like, this is what I don't understand about pro poker players. Maria, like, I'll be all in and I'll just say, all right, good night, everybody, like before anyone even calls. And she's like, I don't like this negative attitude. This is a bad mindset. But it doesn't matter once the money's in. 
once the chips are in, like either you're superstitious or you're not. Yeah. Right. So if you believe in luck and superstition, sure. But if not, then it doesn't really matter what my mindset is once I've already moved in. So, um, I told a bad beat story in the chat. Even that's how bad oh, things got. Like I, I busted out of one home game and went to the other one. And um, there's this uh, there's this old actor named Michael Vartan who plays in one of my games, and he just wrote cool story, bro. And then I felt oh. really stupid. I felt so stupid. Uh, although I did manage to get a little zinger in on him, um, where he he got bad beat, and I just wrote in the chat. Now that's a cool story. Uh, anyway, um, I, I thought that I, I I could tell. Maybe I could just get some of this off my chest. Okay. Some of the things that are you list, listen to some of these. Listen to some of these beats I've been taking. Well, that is a horrible run of bad fortune. I'm so glad that you got to share those hand histories with the audience. Let's just hope that nothing goes wrong with the recording of this week's show. And of course, that our diligent audio engineer does everything in his power to ensure that those stories make it to air because it would be such a shame to lose them. Um, before we speak to this week's guest, Joe, tell us about the book you read. Uh, yeah, the book is called The Only Way to Play It. And it is the story of a... Uh, around it, it, the book conveniently takes place right around 2010. Um, so it is in the heyday yeah. of poker and it's about a live cash game grinder in New York city plays the underground games, does not know how to play online. Really? Um, he doesn't know how to play online, but just doesn't find success really ekes out a living. Um, I imagine he's kind of like a young Joey Kanish, um, where, you know, it's a guy who is in his early 30s, has a young wife, has a baby, and isn't a scumbag, isn't a degenerate, but just plays poker for a living, which is, you know, kind of a gray area uh, for playing, playing live poker in New York City. And he's really having like a crisis of, of not just conscience, but also is on an insane downswing. So I really identified a lot with the character in this because he is really struggling with like, Hey, maybe it's me. Maybe I should really just, I have a family now. I've got a daughter. Uh, and his, his dad is like a degenerate who, um, never really learned his lesson, not a poker player, but never really became the adult father figure that he needed to be. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the story. And what I enjoyed most of all is that there was nothing cringe about any of this. You know, there's always some, you know, if whether it's a poker movie or a poker book, there's always like, oh, like, oh, this is cringe. Oh, this is them like just trying to sound like they know what they talk about. And there was none of that in this book. Uh, the guy really did sound like a poker player. Doesn't sound like a 2019, 2020 poker player, um, but does sound like a 2010 poker player and really just sort of nails the vernacular and the the sort of vibe of what it's like playing in these games. And I don't want to give away too much more, but I do recommend the book. I did enjoy it very much. Okay, well, let's hear from the man who wrote it. Poker in the ears. Welcome to the show, Peter Allison. Uh, Peter, 
we must know each other, obviously. <laughs> when is the last actual interaction that we have had? You know, it's crazy. I, I don't remember if we've ever met, which seems almost impossible because yeah. we know so many people in common. I've been going out to the World Series of Poker for, you know, forever. And, and it just seems weird that we, we haven't actually met. Very weird, especially considering I have I have this book here, one of a kind, this Juanger story, written by Nolan Dalla and Peter Olson, and it's signed by Stephanie Unger, another Unger, I think Madeline maybe, and by Nolan Dalla, but not by Peter Olson. How did I not get your name on this book? <laughs> well, I promise next time I see you, which will be the first time, I will sign it. Yeah, we got to get you to sign both books. Um, so let's uh, let's take things back, way way back to uh, I, I don't know if it was your first book or not, but you wrote a book about being a bookie in college. Is that where it all started? So that's actually it's a mis it's sort of a misconception because even though the the book was originally titled "Confessions of an Ivy League Bookie," I wasn't actually in college when the book takes place. Okay. It was, in fact, some years after college when things had kind of gone off the rails for me and um, and and the book. And, and I sort of found my way into that uh, accidentally, um, accidentally on purpose. And and uh, so so it was it was about a period after college. So Confessions of an Ivy League book, even though I went to an Ivy League school, is a little bit misleading. Can you tell us? I mean, I guess technically all of the parts of that are true, right? Like you were a bookie and you had gone, you were an Ivy Leaguer technically, just not all at once. Can you tell us what was the off the rails? Like, tell us uh, your 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 story if you can. Yeah, yeah. So I had been, I had been, uh, I moved to Chicago. I, I met a woman in Mexico who I fell in love with. Awesome. And and I was living in New York City at the time. Um, and I ended up moving to Chicago, which is where she lived, to to be with her. And we were in a relationship for a couple of years, and it it fell apart. And and so I so I moved. I didn't move straight back to New York. I went to Cape Cod um, and did a house sit there uh, with you know sort of recovering from a broken heart and trying for the umpteenth time to write my first novel, uh, something I had begun trying to do right after I got, a, got out of college. And uh, once again, things went south and I moved back to New York. I'd been working as a freelance magazine writer and uh, that was a bad period in magazine writing. Things had sort of dried up and just accidentally I, I got, I, I, encountered uh, the son of a friend of mine who was working as a bookie. And uh, we took a car ride together up to her house in, in, uh, set in um, the North Fork of Long Island. And sort of his story unfolded about how he was being a bookie. And I was incredibly intrigued and was asking him all sorts of questions about it. And after the weekend, he called me and said, listen, we need a clerk in the office. Do you want a job? And I was really down at the heels at the time. I needed the money. 
And I was also really intrigued. So I said, sure. And, and, you know, that began that journey, which lasted 13 months, um, at, at the end of which um, the office got raided, we all got arrested, and I spent uh, 36 hours in the Brooklyn House of Detention. Wow. Um, which was enough to persuade me that I didn't want to keep pursuing that path. Yeah, so that was enough to scare you straight. At what point did you, at least from from bookying, uh, where does poker come into play? My dad, uh, who was a playwright, was uh, he played a sort of nickel dime game with a bunch of his theater cronies, and I just immediately fell in love with the game and had some aptitude for it. Although, I mean, in retrospect, it was just. I sort of got lucky at the beginning. Uh, they let me play in the game, all except for this one playwright who um, actually was one of the writers of the, the movie Tootsie. Uh, he, was, he was kind of a curmudgeon, and uh, he wouldn't let me play in the game. But apart from him, when the game took place at his house, I couldn't play. But otherwise, I would go with my dad, and I would play in these games, and, and then... My my poker journey evolved. I kept playing. By the time I got to college, um, I was making my monthly spending money playing poker. Um, and so when I worked as a bookie, uh, that was when I, I actually had some disposable cash and I started playing at the Mayfair Club. Right. And I met all those guys, uh, you know, who, who really made up the core of the Mayfair Club. So um, Eric Seidel and Howard Letterer, and Jason Lester, and and uh, Jay Heimowitz. I mean, it was, you know, it was a legendary crew, and, and they played in a big game, uh, which was a, uh, I think it was, I think they were playing 5-10 No Limit, uh, and then there was a baby No Limit game, which was 2-5, and that was the game I played in. Um, and and that, so that was, that was the connection between, you know, I mean, I was already involved somewhat in, in the gambling world. The biggest glitch in that story you just told, Peter, is literally before we came to air, Joe and I were talking about a film director, and that film director was Sidney Pollock, who made Tootsie, the writer of whom you just <laughs> referred to. How weird. What a bizarre coincidence. Completely irrelevant to this interview, but I just wanted to throw it out there. That, that is funny. And actually, that writer uh, was a guy named Murray Shiskal, who sadly... Uh, just just died uh, a week ago. Um, so, you know, and and despite the fact that he wouldn't let me play in the game, I, I loved him. He was a, he was an incredible character. Uh, let's talk a little bit about where you're at in poker right now. I get the impression that you probably still hang with some of these people. I mean, uh, quarantine notwithstanding yeah. let's say that things were totally normal right now uh what sorts of games will we find you in so before before the pandemic i was playing probably one or two nights a week which was was definitely less than you know than i had been playing certainly before i was married and, and, a, and a dad um but you know I've, I've kept my hand in the game so I was playing in the underground clubs, maybe maybe once a week, and then and then a home game, um, which is uh, 
a game that, that Brian Koppelman plays in, Andy Bellin plays in, Hank Azaria. It's it's a fun game, and that's that's a five ten no limit game, and you know, so I've I've kept my hand in it. I I had a feeling that that was your crew. I just get that get that yeah. impression, and also the Brian Koppelman blurb at the top of your book uh, on the book jacket. When I know Brian, it's tough to get him to read things. Um, I don't know if you had to uh, twist his arm at all, but uh, it was that's a huge endorsement. Yeah, I mean Brian and I go go way back. We met at the at the Mayfair Club before Rounders, and and I mean the funny thing is I had actually been thinking about writing a, a poker movie, um, but my feeling was that that to do a poker movie to get it accepted by Hollywood, you would really have to dumb it down. That you couldn't do a poker movie that that felt authentic. And then Brian and David gave me a draft of their script for Rounders, and I read it, and I went, "Holy shit, this is this is unbelievable." You've done it, but I didn't yeah. think that they could actually get it made. And of course, you know, they did, and it became this iconic film. And you know, uh, more power to them. But anyway, Brian, Brian and I were have been you know friends uh, since Brian, David, and I have been friends since then. Uh, and, and, uh, so, so it's, you know, and, and, and then when Rounders came out, I actually did a story for, for a magazine, uh, about the movie and about, uh, Matt and Ed and, and, uh, Matt Damon and Ed Norton. And I spent, uh, a week at the World Series hanging out with them, which was kind of an incredible experience because, you know, they were just, I mean, especially Matt was just, I mean, that was the beginning of his career. And so yeah. to see him sort of take off, in fact, I went to uh, a Knicks game with him and Brian. Brian, Brian had season tickets, courtside seats. And at halftime, they, they, they put the spotlight on Matt and he stood up and took a, took a bow and it was one of those holy shit moments where we all, because that day, the cover of Vanity Fair had him on it. And it wow. was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. So it was like, that was the, you know, and, and Brian does his podcast, The Moment, you know, which is those, you know, that moment when everything shifts. Well, that was the moment when everything shifted for Matt Damon. And, and you saw him go from being just, you know, this guy to being a major movie star. Yeah. So that was that was that was really exciting to be a part of. One other thing I wanted to draw attention to is Joe obviously has a copy of the book that you wrote with Nolan Dollar about Stu Unger. I think you also appeared as a contributor in a documentary about the life of Stu Unger. Bizarrely, Joe and I have decided that we are going to revisit a few old poker movies. And one of the movies we're going to watch is the fictional take on Stu Unger's life with Michael Imperioli. Um, I don't have a particularly fond recollection of that movie. As a Stu Unger expert, what were your thoughts on that film? So, <laughs> how do I put this politely? I have, <laughs> never, I have never seen the movie. I have heard. That's probably the best way to handle The only I've way heard, to play it, I'd say. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've heard that it is not good. And in, in fact, our book 
was optioned by Graham King, who uh, produced uh, The Departed and a bunch of other movies. And, um, and he hired Andy Bellin to do the screenplay. Um, and Andy called me um, and said, you know, I, do you think I should watch this, this movie High Roller? And I, I said to Andy, you know, I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't <laughs> want that in my head. Yeah. Um, and then he, he called me a week later and said, I should have listened to you. <laughs> and, and, and I think it did affect how he, how he ended up writing the script. At any rate, um, you know, uh, our, our version of the movie was never made. It's the book is still under option. Um, it's now uh, under option to James Fry's company. Um, if you remember uh, James James Fry from A, a Million Little Pieces, uh, oh, yeah. he, has a he has a production company, and I don't know what's going on with it. But you know, I think it would be amazing if if the real Stewie Younger movie yeah. got made and and one based on our book. I mean, I guess that's the good news, right? Is that the the one they did that didn't involve you is, I will say, at best forgettable. So if you know, if they made a really great one, not based on your book, that would be kind of annoying. So maybe there's still hope. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my hope anyway. Uh, I do want to get to the only way to play in a second because that's the reason you're here. But I, I'm yeah. you've really done so much stuff over your career as far as you know being a contributor for documentaries and various movies and, and uh, journalism. And I guess I just want to know which things other than the only way to play it, which we want people to go out and buy and read. Now, what's your favorite? I mean, you know, my favorite, well, I mean, right now my favorite is the only way to play it, but I mean, I, I think in, in many ways, um, take me to the river um, which is a, a book that is about the 2005 World Series of Poker and and sort of my adventures there and and the, the group of, of characters and miscreants I was hanging out with uh, at the World Series of Poker. And, you know, I mean, it was that was the beginning of the post boom um, World Series. And so it was it was a fun time to be out there. And and uh, and that book, you know, in many ways. Uh, it was the conceit of that book was that I, I was 50 years old. I had just asked my long time and long suffering girlfriend, uh, to marry me, which was a huge step for me. And, um, and then immediately, uh, I suggested that I pay for the wedding by going out to the world series and, and winning the money. Um, which is, you know, what every um, good good uh, husband to be would do. Sorry, did you say you were twenty three years old or fifty years old? <laughs> twenty three going on fifty. Yeah, yeah. or fifty going on twenty three. I don't know. Um, yeah, and so so you know, I mean, God love her. She she gave me her endorsement and let let me go and her ten k. And, and so while she was planning the wedding. I was uh, spending six weeks out in Vegas. Awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, that I, I guess was a, a harbinger of, of you know, a, a good marriage uh, because, 
she understood who I was and, and that I w- probably wasn't going to change all that much. Well, you know what? I think that's a great segue to, uh, by the way, 2005 was my first World Series Likewise. of Poker ever also. Oh, wow. All, yeah. uh, both of us, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I probably would like to check it out. I think this is a good uh, time to transition to the only way to play it because um, a, a lot of things I've heard you mention already, I, You know, one of my questions was going to be how personal is this story to you? And I'm hearing things about uh, s- someone's life going south. Uh, someone dating a person who uh, eventually marrying someone who uh, understands or at least pretends to understand what's going on in the mind of a poker player and that desire uh, to, to play the game for a living. Uh, I, I don't want to give away too much, obviously, because I'd love for our listeners to go out and read it. But, you know, if you can, where where does this book draw from your life? You know, it, it draws in a, in a lot of ways from my life. Uh, in terms of in terms of the feelings, but in terms of the actual events, and it, it's it's really uh, it is fiction. Um, so so none of the none of the things that happen in the book really happened to me in real life. But the things that I wanted to explore uh, were the the tensions between wanting to you know I mean poker players have no responsibilities. They have no no um, real. Um, there's no one. You know, they're 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 free. They're liberated. They can do whatever they want. And there's you know that's an incredible feeling. But at the same time, there's a tension. If you also want to have some semblance of a normal life and a family and and a wife, and so I wanted to explore that tension as it played out. Um, for a character who had lived this life and now was was moving into the next phase of his life, which is which is marriage, and how that is is very complicated. Um, and so that's you know that, that's that's a lot of what the book is about. It's also about um, legacy. Um, so for me, in my own life, I'm I'm a child of divorce. Um, and so I, I know what what that experience is is like. And in this in this novel, um, the the hero of the novel, Nathan, is also a child of divorce, and he he doesn't want to make the same mistakes that he thinks that his parents and particularly his father made because he blames his father for um, the the end of of that marriage. Um, and, and so I also wanted to explore that sort of inexorable pull, um, that, that one's family history has. And, and, uh, you know, there's the, the old Hemingway thing that the father who, uh, who commits suicide condemns his son to the same. Yeah. And, and so that's also a tension in the book. And his relationship, Nathan's relationship with his dad is um, is very complicated because he loves him, but he also doesn't want to be him. And that also was autobiographical for me, although my dad is was very different than the character of Leo, the dad in, in The Only Way to Play It. Um, 
because my dad wasn't a gambler. He was, he wasn't, um, I mean, he was, he was a playwright. He, um, he was the, the ways in which I didn't want to be like him, uh, were more to do with his writing career ended up not being, uh, successful or, or fulfilling to him. And I didn't want that for myself. Now you could say I probably shouldn't have become a writer. You know, I should have stayed away from it. And in the same way in the book, Nathan, you know, sort of follows his father in, in doing something that he probably would have been better off not undertaking, but he does. And yet he still wants to uh, do it differently. And so all of those things were, were autobiographical, but how they play out in the book is very different. Yeah, look, I, I have to say, of all the things you, you mentioned you were going for there, you really nailed all of them. I think there's a lot of things in this book that speak particularly to poker players, uh, specifically uh, Nathan's moral crossroads as to am I on a downswing or am I just have I, am I just not good enough anymore? Uh, it, you know, is this irresponsible? Uh, should I just I think these are all things that really I think they speak to everyone, but specifically, obviously, to people that understand what the game of poker is like. I don't think you need to be told this, but something that I always worry about when I read people's poker fiction is that there's going to be some cringy moments in it or someone that doesn't really understand the game. Uh, trying to, yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to tell a story about the game. And it's very clear you do understand the game. I, and I like the fact that you set it uh, in a more you know, interesting time for poker, too. Um, you know, sort of the glory days of poker. Uh, and I just wanted to compliment you and say that everything about it really worked uh, and felt real. Now, I didn't play any underground games during that era, but I've, era, but I've played like in the last five years or so, and it's all very authentic. Uh, and I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to say thanks for, for reaching out uh, to put it on my radar because I might not have seen it otherwise. And I know that yeah. it took a little while to get you on the show. And thanks for being patient with us. Cause I'm really uh, appreciative that this book's a part of my life now. Oh, wow. That's uh, thanks. Dapes. That's, that's an amazing compliment. Well, I, I started with a compliment, but now you're going to have to, to, uh, <laughs> to withstand the insult uh, playing one of my stupid games. Now, I don't know if you listen to the show or not, but I, I make a bespoke game for every guest on the show. That's usually I, that was the perfect. I did, I did listen to uh, to your podcast with with Maria Konnikova. Okay, and, so uh, you you know I, I got to believe I'm going to do better than she did. You know what's well, coming then. Here's the weird thing. So, Peter, I think this year we have had three, not not one, not two, but now three episodes dedicated to books. We're getting properly highbrow. We've had you, Maria Konnikova, <laughs> and Martin Harris, who wrote Poker and Pop Culture. So, you know, I'm liking this, that we're mixing up the movies with the, the written word as well. But, yeah, I love that setup, Joe, the kind of the, the massive compliment. And now, now I'm going to ridicule you with this really stupid quiz that I've come up with. <laughs> Exactly. All right. This this week's game is called Sublurbia. Now you had fantastic blurbs on your book. Um, I don't even think I'm using the word blurb correctly. Am I? I'm talking about the the little uh, yeah. reviews. Yeah. 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 That's that's a blurb. Okay. Great. So these little one one or two line reviews, sometimes by famous people. In Peter's case, he had some famous people. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a blurb and tell you who blurbed it. 
but you have to tell me what they were blurbing about. Wow. It's oh, that's a, good. Uh, it's a it's a multiple choice, so don't worry. Um, I, I love the way you've just turned this into a verb now. What they were blurbing about, love it. Exactly. I the like way, blurbing as as a verb. Chad McVean called that game explanation a tour de force. <laughs> okay, here we go. Question number one. S. J. Watson called this a gripping, enthralling, top-notch thriller and a compulsive read. Was it? Michael Ian Black's A Better Man. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. <laughs> Belson's Lament or The Girl on the Train. Well, it's definitely not not two or three. So it's either one or four. And uh, I'll just take a, uh, a wild guess and say it's Girl on a Train. Girl on a Train is correct. You're on the board. Yay. <laughs> Question number two. Patton Oswald said of this book, it's a good thing this book is so funny. It will prevent whatever civilization that finds it thousands of years from now from forming a creepy new religion around it. Was it Michael Ian Black's A Better Man, <laughs> The Stand, <laughs> Angela's Ashes, or A.R. Moxon's The Revisionaries? No, I'm I'm gonna go with four again. The revisionary. Aaron Mox is the revisionaries is correct. Two for two. Yes. Question number three. Newsday's What to Read This Week said the author can help you with tips on punctuation and spelling. Even better, he'll entertain you while he's at it. Is it Dryer's English? Michael Liam Black's A Better Man. <laughs> Higher and Drier, A Simple Guide to Moral Superiority Through Grammar. Or was it Mortal Kombat, the movie, the novel? You're making this too tough. <laughs> I got to go with number one. Dryer's English is correct. Wow. You, you're, you're 3-0, and o, Peter. I don't want to jinx it, but th th you have the potential to run the board here. I, I, I got. I got to know. So, so has anyone run the board before? I don't think so. Oh man, maybe not. Then now the pressure is really on. Pressure yeah. is on. Now it's can you can you get them all? Question number four. Amy Schumer said, "This comedian is one of my favorites, and this book was such a great read. I forgot how lonely I was for a while." Was it Jerry Seinfeld's sign language? Dennis Miller's The Rants, Michael Ian Black's A Better Man. How did we know or that was Norm coming? Or Norm McDonald's Based on a True Story. Oh, wow. I, I'm just trying to picture Amy Schumer. Like, those all, all three comics there. Don't seem to be, you know, in her wheelhouse. I would agree. I would agree. Um, and 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 now I now I feel like it's a trick question, and and you want me to go for 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 Michael Ian Black. Um, that's where I'm gonna go. 
Oh, unfortunately, we were looking for Norm McDonald's based on a I true story. That would have been my. That would have been it. Oh, I did. That see, I, I drew attention to your flawless performance, and that that's now the yeah. wheels have started to come you off. You brought up the no hitter, yeah. James. Nice work. Yeah. Yeah. Question number five. David Sedaris said about this novel, in writing about poker, the author has managed to write about everything, and it's glorious. Is it The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King, Positively Fifth Street, Maria Konnikova's The Biggest Bluff, or Michael Ian Black's A Better Man? <laughs> I'm going with uh, Maria Konnikova. That is correct. Four and one. This is still a respectable score. Two questions to go. Wolfgang Puck said this author has taken the pizza and the piadina to imaginative new heights. His book is an inspiration. Was it What the Chuck, the unofficial autobiography of Charles E. Cheese? Was it When the Moon Hits Your Eye Like a Big Pizza? Question mark. Was it I spy pies or was it grilled pizzas and piadinas? Are you telling me that Michael Ian Black's a better man is not an option? Not enough. <laughs> I know. I'm very disappointed because that was going to be my guess, but I have to go with grilled pizzas and piadinas. Grilled pizzas and piadinas is correct. One question left to go. Question number seven. Alyssa Milano said this book tackles the tough subject of masculinity in an unexpected, <laughs> tender, and sometimes funny ways. Is it the new alpha male, the way of the superior man, man up, or Michael Ian Black's a better man? <laughs> wait, you got it. Wait, I was so, I was still on pizzas and piadinas. <laughs> you got give me that one again. Sure. Alyssa Milano said this book tackles the tough subject of masculinity in unexpected, tender, and sometimes funny ways. Is the book called The New Alpha Male, The Way of the Superior Man, Man Up, or Michael Liam Black's A Better Man? I mean, after all this time, I'm going to go back to Michael Liam Black. It has to be the punchline. There it is. It has to be the punchline. And Peter that, Allison, read his book. The only way to play it, it is phenomenal. A score of 6-1. That's as good as running the board. Peter, I'm so glad we had you on the show. Really enjoyed hearing from you. And I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but based on what I've heard today and based on Joe's recommendation, I definitely will be reading it. Thanks, guys. Really, really, really fun. Thanks, Peter. Hope to talk soon. Yeah. Cheers. Superfan versus Stakes. Time to introduce this week's superfan on the podcast. Please welcome Cameron Kite. And I do have a confession to make, Cameron. Right up until we started recording today's podcast, for the last two weeks, both verbally and in written form, I've been referring to you as Cameron Knight. I figure that this is a common mistake that people make. Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. We had a rule growing up where we would hang up on anyone that uh, said if asked if they could speak to the Knights. And so we've hung up on my mom's bank manager and... <laughs> Uh, all sorts of good stuff. So, yeah, definitely a common occurrence. Uh, you don't know me, bitch. My name's not Knight Click. But you can see why the mistake gets made, right? Because that visual association, when you see the combination of IGHT, 
you think night, this not is K-I-T. so delicious. James just trying to make up for the fact that he made weeks worth of errors by being like, it's, it's, I mean, come on. It's anybody would do it, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Hap- it happens all the time on like any uh, time I've had to sign a contract. I've had to, oh, can you reprint this or can you do oh. XYZ? Because people just see it. I bet go, people oh, yeah. get mad at you too. Like it's your fault for having a name that doesn't have an N in it. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's just one of those things where, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they expect me to do, but they're like, "Oh yeah, I just." I was like, "Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. There is no end there." <laughs> have you ever thought that just for convenience's sake, screw it, I'm going to change my name tonight? I uh, I definitely I've definitely signed things just K I T E instead of K I G H T because uh, I just I'm like, okay, I know they're not going to get this right away, and I don't want to deal with that. I can't believe so. we're meeting a person who's been Mandela affected. I know. You're like, yeah. no, your name was definitely Knight before. <laughs> Enough about Cameron Kite, the moniker. Let's find out about the man. Tell us about yourself, Cameron. What is your story? What is your deal, bro? Um, yeah, so I'm currently a college student down at Clemson um, in South cool. Carolina. And I really got into poker kind of over quarantine, like a lot of uh, people, I think. So we, I played a home game with my dad and some of his friends Um online and then started watching all the old um like pcas and stuff that you guys did and when i originally tried to find the podcast i was like oh um it was originally called ept not live i think and i like couldn't find it um but then after i ended up finding it i was like listening to an episode on my way back to work um over the summer for my internship and um i've been playing like pretty much the 50 cent the college student level buy-ins um anywhere i can find them so yeah that's kind of what i've been doing so what uh what is it that you're studying slash interning uh i'm doing chemical engineering so um this summer i actually had got to go for an in-person internship which is really cool we did blood testing um vials for uh like different hospitals and stuff so that was something that i actually got to go in uh, person for which was really cool Wow. Something that we've all learned a lot more about over the last six months. Yeah. You're yeah. butt tested for shit. Yes. Everyone yeah. now thinks they're a medical expert in the wake of the last six months. Um, I love the fact that we're now getting people applying to come on the show who are what I like to call new to poker, newbies, for want of a better phrase, right? Who've discovered poker, the game during lockdown, during quarantine, who've been catching up on all that content that we've produced over the last decade. So happy you can be with us, Cameron. You chose as your specialist subject, music of the 2010s. As you probably know, Patrick, the former intern, is back and is now head of quiz compilation. So I have absolutely no idea how Patrick interpreted this topic. And there is a very strong chance that a lot of the music of the 2010s in Patrick's mind might not be on your radar and Joe might not be on your radar either. Yeah, so here's the good news, Cameron. I'm not much more likely to know who Saturday Special or Girl Power 6 are any more than you do. Who am I thinking of? No, there was what? The Saturdays? Is That, that was a band, right? The Saturdays the was a band. I don't believe there is a question about the Saturdays. So, few. Okay, I'm seeing a few international names here. I think we're all going to be okay. The one thing I should say, Cameron, is that being a resident of South Carolina, unfortunately, you can't play for a real money poker ticket, but we can try and give you more than one Poker in the Ears t-shirts from our exclusive range. So let's see how we go. We don't have questions numbered one through seven. Each question is applicable to a particular year. So I'm going to ask Cameron to give me a year from 2010 to 2019. 
All right. Um, I'm going to go number four, 2014. Okay, let's go with 2014. Uh, and as ever, if you can nail it without the multiple choice options, two points. If you need the choices, one point. The most listened to song of the entire decade was released in 2014. What was the name of the song? Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm going to need the options. Okay. Was it Happy, Thrift Shop, Let It Go, or Uptown Funk? Fuck, that's hard. Okay, so 2014, I would have been in eighth grade, which would would have been right when um, Happy and I think it's between Happy and uh, Let It Go. And I'll go with I'll go with Happy by Pharrell Williams. You run better in your flips than Joe Stapleton does. That ah. is worth a point. You also get the bonus question: Which animated movie? And I need you to be specific. Is that song taken from? Uh, it's from Frozen. Uh, it, more specific than that, Frozen One. Uh, that's Let It Go. You're thinking of Happy. Oh, Happy was Despicable Me too. Correct. I'm going to give you the bonus <laughs> points. That's your one mulligan, Cameron. You only yeah. get one. Ugh. Joseph. Any year other than 2014. It's always coming 2017. Okay. Which artist was most listened to on Spotify in the year 2017? I'll take the choices, please. Was it Drake, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, or Rihanna? I'm going to go with Drake. Incorrect. It was Ed Sheeran, which means the bonus question goes to Cameron. Which record did Ed Sheeran release in 2017, which resulted in him becoming the most listened to artist of the year on Spotify? Uh, I think it was Shape of You. Yeah, I had to guess. I'll give you the bonus point. So... Nice Where one. are we at? Cameron, it's your question. Uh, every year other than 2014 and 2017 has gone. Um, we'll go 2019. 2019. Which Scottish artist had the best performing single of 2019? Oh, I don't know. I know any Scottish artists. Um, I'll take the options. Was it Lewis Capaldi, Billie Eilish, Ed Sheeran, or Sam Smith? Oh, I didn't know any of those people were Scottish. Um, At I'm least one with... of them is, and I think it may only yeah. be one of them. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll go with um, Billie Eilish, but I don't, I don't know. No, the answer is Lewis Capaldi, and that means the bonus question passes to Joe Stapleton. What was you know that Scottish last name Capaldi? <laughs> Ludovic Gaelic. Uh, Joseph. <laughs> What was the best performing single of 2019? You know the artist. Give me the name of the song. I have no idea. Someone You Loved was the answer. And it is your question, Joe. So which year would you like to revisit? Um, I guess the only chance I have is picking years that Cameron was a child during. So <laughs> let's go with 2010. Which artist had the first number one single of 2010 with the song TikTok? Uh, Kesha. Correct, for two points. There is no bonus attached, though. So that means, Cameron, you still have a 3-2 lead going into the next round. Uh, let's look at where we are. We've got 2011, 
2012, 2013, 2015, 2016, or 2018? Oh, um, I see. I would have gotten the TikTok one, so we'll go 2011. Adele released her all-time best-selling album in 2011. What was it called? Oh, oh, I don't know what it's called. Um, I'll take the choices. It's okay. Was it 19, 21, someone like you, or set fire to the rain? So. Uh... I want, I know Set Fire to the Rain and someone like you were songs on it, but I would have said the album was called 19. And you would be incorrect. That was Taylor Swift's album. 21 was the name. Uh, I know it was one of them. Here's a fun fact. Um, around the same era, I tried to do a joke in one of the EPT shows making fun of Adele. And our boss, who is a big Adele fan, was like, nope. Not, not gonna let this joke through. I think the joke, the reason why the joke was vetoed was not because it was about Adele. You know why the joke had to be cut out, Joe. 2012, 2013, 2015, 2016, or 2018, Mr. Stapleton? 2012, the year, the year the world ended. Okay. Um, I think Patrick's cheating a little bit here because, strictly speaking, this is not about music of the decade. It's about an event of the decade, and that oh. is the sad passing of Whitney Houston in the year 2012. Which of her songs spent the most time at number one in the charts? Oh, that would be... Um, hold on. Uh, oh, it, it's... Uh, God, I have COVID brain right now. Would you like the multiple choice options? No, I don't need the choices. It is, uh, I'll always, I will always love you. Correct, four, two points, and you have a four, three lead. Uh, where would you like to go next on the board, Cameron? 13, 15, 16, or 18 are the years available. Uh, we'll go 18. 2018. The best performing album of 2018 was a soundtrack from a motion picture. Which film? Um... Best performing album of 20... I'm going to need the options. Was the film Extinction, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, A Star is Born, or The Greatest Showman? Oh, that's brutal. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, like, because I know... It's just because of the music I listen to, but I wanna, I'm going to have to go Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Nah, you see, always go for a musical. The Greatest Showman was a huge, huge seller wow. that year. Not. Performed better than the movie did. Um, Joe, you can have 2013, 2015, or 2016. I'm going to keep it low. It's been working for me. You want 2013? Yeah. Robin Thicke had the most popular song of 2013. What was it called? I'll take the choices. I don't. Was man. it mirrors, blurred lines, happy, or locked out of heaven? Blurred line. Blurred lines. And there is a bonus question: Whose estate gets most of the royalties from that song now? Marvin Gaye. Correct for the bonus point. Okay, we need something to happen uh -oh. here, Cameron. 2015, 2016. I recommend going higher rather than lower. I'll take the high one. 2016, Coldplay headlined the Glastonbury Festival in 2016. Name the lead singer of the band. I 
oh, I don't, I'm going to need the choices. I don't listen oh, to all yeah. a lot of gold Okay, play. okay. Trust me, 2015 was even harder. Uh, Gary Barlow, Chris Martin, Robbie Williams, or Harry Styles? Uh, I can eliminate Harry Styles. That's about it. Um, uh, I've, uh, we'll go the middle one. Well, you can't really have middle when there are four options. Uh, so I eliminate it. So number two. The middle of Number two. Left. Chris Martin is correct. You do get a point for that. Uh, okay. Joe, your final question is question 2015. Uh, which X Factor winning act released their most popular album? in 2015. I can only name one X Factor winning act. Which is? One Direction. No, the answer was Little Mix, but ironically, you did not need the points because yeah. by a score of six points to four, you've won another edition of Superfan versus Stapes. What's that like, two in three weeks? Is that two in a row even? I feel terrible. Cameron's such a nice guy. Too bad he gets nothing now. No, he still gets. <laughs> A poker in the ears t-shirt and that's what matters am i right cameron it is that's that's all i was going for so well you got it and you absolutely get it uh cameron thank you very much for coming on the show i apologize that you picked a subject that was open to interpretation shall we say um but we very much enjoyed talking to you and uh, thanks again for coming on yeah it was really nice to meet you guys thanks for having me good talking to you buddy uh, you too All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're going to have Giraffe Ganger, Janger, Giraffe Janger. I don't... Well, the great thing is, if Burt Stevens is coming on the show, we can ask him exactly how it should be said. Bear in mind, I was saying Giraffe Ganger for months. Uh, whatever you're saying is obviously closer to reality. Very intrigued to speak to this guy. Beloved of the fans... I find it interesting that this high-stakes pro turned up at Lex Live 2 last year, met so many members of the Twitch community. So now, of course, whenever we do one of our live streams of like a WCOOP or a 5K Stadium Series event and he's in the mix, they're all rooting for him. Yeah, I mean, I met this guy in person too before he was even on my radar, which is a shortcoming of mine, I think, that I wasn't really following the online scene that much. But yeah, uh, interesting fellow. Uh, really looking forward to talking to him. Also, next week's super fan subject is Life of Brian. Of course, <laughs> my girlfriend did fall asleep while we were watching it. Uh, Brilliant. I do find myself wanting to fall asleep during Life of Brian every time I watch it at a certain point. More on that next week. And in a couple of weeks, we will be discussing not one, but two bad poker movies, Shade and whichever version of the Stu Unger story is your poison. Reminder, we still need a super fan. Correct. Please apply. Hashtag poker in the ears. You can pick either movie and... We will discuss them both on the podcast in a couple of weeks, and then we'll do the Superfan quiz based around one of those films. And just to be clear, I think there, are, there might even be a documentary about Stu Unger. This is the fictional movie with Michael Imperioli in the title role, Christopher Moltisanti from The Sopranos, or the kid who gets shot in the foot in Goodfellas, depending on how you best remember him. All right, my babies, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.